Last week I uh, told a couple of jokes. I've got a couple more if you, if you like that kind of thing. No, maybe not. Should I? Maybe not. Okay, all right. All right, a couple of jokes just before we get started here. Well, I, you know, they're, here they are, okay? Uh, joke one. A woman was preparing pancakes for her young sons. The boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake. Oh, man. This sounds like something that happens every day at our house. Anyway. Uh, the boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake. Their mother saw the opportunity for a moral lesson. And so she said, if Jesus was sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. First pancake, I can wait. And so the oldest boy turned to his younger brother and said, You be Jesus. <laughs> uh, that's funny. All right, I don't know if I should tell this one. This one's kind of. All right, why not? Uh, a pastor woke up on Sunday morning. Just by the way, I would never do this, okay? At least, at least I hope not, but anyway. A pastor woke up on Sunday morning and realizing it was an exceptionally beautiful and sunny early spring day, he decided he just had to play golf. So he told the associate pastor that he was feeling sick and convinced him to uh, take over the service for that Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't think I would ever do that to Tim. But anyway, uh, as soon as the associate pastor left the room, uh, the, the pastor headed out of town to a golf course about 40 miles away. This way he knew he wouldn't accidentally meet anyone he knew from his church. Setting up on the first tee, he was alone. After all, it was Sunday morning and everyone else was in church. At about this time, St. Peter leaned over to the Lord while looking down from the heavens and exclaimed, you're not going to let him get away with this, are you? The Lord sighed and said, no, I guess not. Just then, the pastor hit the ball, and it shot straight towards the pin, dropping just short of it, rolled up, and fell into the hole. It was a 420-yard hole-in-one. St. Peter was astonished. He looked to the Lord and asked, why did you let him do that? The Lord smiled and replied, who is he going to tell? <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. And uh, Father, we just uh, come before you now. And I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds, awaken our spirits to hear from you. Father, I ask for your spirit to be upon me as I preach that the words that I say would be anointed by you to bring transformation, not only to our church, but in my personal, my life, Lord God. I need to hear these words as well. And so, Father, we just want to give this time to you. Let your name be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are... uh, 
at the last Sunday of our series through the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians is four chapters, and so we were in this uh, series for the last three weeks, ending today. Um, we looked at a passage in each of the chapters in, in each of the weeks. And so on the first week of this series, we looked at a passage in First Corinthians, or Colossians 1, 15 to 20, which really sets the tone for the, the whole letter. Paul writes, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and in him all things hold together. This was likely what I mentioned on our first Sunday in this series. A lot of scholars believe that this was likely a hymn that the early church sung, and Paul was quoting a hymn. And he was saying, listen, church, this is what we sing on Sunday. I mean, think of the songs that we sing on Sunday about Jesus, about who he is, his majesty, who he is, that nothing is impossible with him, that he has overcome by the blood of the lamb. Oftentimes we sing those on Sunday, but our hearts, our faith, we need to attach our faith to those words. And so Paul was doing that in in Colossians 1. And and the theme of this hymn is the supremacy of, of Christ, that Christ is above all things, that he is to be first in our lives, and he is um, all we need. And so Paul just hammers that as at the, in, the, in the beginning of this letter, and the theme really is pervasive throughout the letter. In the second week, we looked at Colossians 2, 13 to 15, which is a passage that I believe just summarizes the Christian faith beautifully. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ. And so we talked about that, how Christianity is a religion, is not a religion about making people better people, right? Christianity is about dead people coming to life, new life in Christ, where all of a sudden everything we look at, our perspective in this life changes, totally changes. And that's what it means to become a Christian, You who were once dead in your trespasses, God made alive together. Last week, we looked at a passage in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 to 10, and it talks about our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ Jesus. We have been raised with Christ. Therefore, we need to seek the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. And so the switch, our identity switch, has been made. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So our our identity, who we are in relation to God, which is our ultimate identity, who we are, we're all created in the image of God. That's our identity. That has changed from sinner to in Christ dead in our trespasses, to made alive in Christ. That identity change has happened, but our words, our actions need to catch up to the identity change. And that's what Paul's talking about in Colossians 3. And today we're going to look at uh, the last chapter, a passage in the final chapter of Colossians. Colossians 4, verse 2 uh, to 4. And this is what it says. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 
At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And so Paul begins this, this last part of the letter with an encouragement to the church, continue steadfastly in prayer. Other translations say be devoted to prayer. In other words, keep praying. Pray often. Pray a lot. Now in those days, prayers were done three times a day. This was normal religious life in Paul's day in the church. Three times a day. There were set times. Morning, afternoon, evening. And not only were there set times, there were even set prayers. Prayers that they would pray depending on what season they were in. And so there was a lot of praying that happened in the early church. Praying was a normal part of one's religious life in Paul's day. It's possible that it was more a part of the life of the church in Paul's day than it is today, in the church today. It's possible. So the question is, why is Paul encouraging an already praying church to continue to pray, to continue to steadfastly pray? Why? When they already pray very much often. One of our core values here at Trinity Church, if you've been tracking with Trinity for a while now, you would know that one of our core values here at Trinity Church is prayer. The three words that describe Trinity, the first word is prayer. Prayer, truth, love. We value prayer. We value praying for one another in our community. We value lifting intercessions up to the Lord. We value prophetic prayer where we receive uh, words from the Lord for one another, encouragements, edification. We value healing prayer because we believe God can heal. We believe in deliverance. We pray. So we value prayer here at Trinity. So as a church, we value prayer. But I want to address us personally, to you personally. Now, I'm guessing that at some point, some of us may have experienced disappointment in our prayer life. For instance, have you ever petitioned to God about something? Over and over and over again. There's a prayer request that you're giving to God. It's a major issue. You're saying, God, you need to hear this. And you pray, you petition over and over again, some of us for years and years, crying out to the Lord. And there seems to be no answer on his part. Have you ever experienced that? Perhaps you're experiencing something like that right now. You're praying for a resolution to an ongoing problem in your life. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a financial struggle. Job situation. Maybe it's an issue in the family, marriage, issue in the community, among your friends, school, whatever it might be. There's this nagging issue that needs to be changed or resolved. You've prayed for it. You've prayed through it. Just about every angle you could think of, you pray through it. And there's no answer. God does not seem to be intervening. Have you ever experienced this? It can be very disappointing. In fact, there are people who walk away from the Lord because of unanswered prayer. Newsweek published an article, and the title of this article was, title of this article <laughs> was, Is God Listening? And in this article, there's stories of 
great answers to prayer. There's also stories of unanswered prayer. And they did a poll on those who pray. And um, the author cited this poll. And uh, one, of the, one of the numbers that they found was that 13% of those polled lost their faith because of unanswered prayer. Now, that doesn't sound like a big number, but there are still those who walk away from their faith because of prayer not working. They don't see that prayer works, and so they lose their faith. Now, I have to mention that when we pray, whatever it might be, God's answer may not be what we want it to be. God's answer to our prayers might not be yes. It might not be now. It might be something we don't want. And a big mistake that Christians can make is falsely believing that because the answer to a prayer request is not a yes or is not a now, we falsely believe that prayer is ineffective and it doesn't work. When we desperately pray for someone to be healed and they don't get healed, when we pray for a financial miracle to be provided and the money just doesn't come in, when we cry out to God for justice over a specific issue and the issue doesn't change, when we pray for a certain person in our life to come to know Jesus and they run further away from Jesus, it's like, what gives? What's going on? Prayer doesn't seem to be effective. Perhaps you've been there before. And because of the seemingly ineffectiveness of your prayer, it has caused you to pray less or caused you to not pray at all. Your thinking, perhaps, is I'll just have to figure it out myself. I just have to do this myself. I just have to endure this. I just have to go through this situation alone. Has this been the experience of prayer for you? I believe this is a common experience. You're not alone if you've experienced this. Whether it was in 60 AD, Christians experiencing this, when Colossians was written, to 2016 today, this is a common experience in the body of Christ. We all face these situations in prayer. Job faced this in the midst of his hardship. Job says this in Job 30, verse 20. I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. Now, we have the luxury of of knowing how that story ends. God does answer him. I mean, it takes a little while, but God does answer Job. But how many of us can relate with Job when you're in that situation? You're crying to God for a resolution. God, come! And nothing happens. It can be very disappointing. And so if you're here and you've experienced tarrying in prayer, if you've, if, if you've experienced getting to that place where it's like, why bother praying? This encouragement from Paul is for you. It is for you. It is for me. Continue steadfastly in prayer. I want to talk about three reasons today why Paul is encouraging the church to maintain that posture of prayer. Three reasons why he's saying continue in prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Keep praying. Number one, 
The first is this. Prayer acknowledges the supremacy of Christ. This is in the context of the rest of the letter to the Colossians. The big point that Paul was making in the book of Colossians was Jesus Christ is above all. He is beyond all things. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. He's above it all. Jesus is all we need. Jesus is our source. He's to be made first. That's the point of the whole letter. Prayer acknowledges that. It puts that in writing. When we pray for things, we are acknowledging that Jesus Christ is above all things, all circumstances, all situations, all problems, all battles, all the battles we face in this life. Christ is above them. He's above the spiritual battles that we face. He's above it all. When we pray, we're acknowledging that. Prayer connects us to his supremacy and his centrality over all things. That's what prayer does. When we are going through struggles in life, though, I mean, I get it. It's, it's not easy. When we face struggles, when we face circumstances, when we are in the middle of a complex situation where you need to figure it out, your life is going in two different directions here. What do I do? How many of us can actually say that our first impulse is to pray? How many of us can actually say that? Is my first impulse in whatever situation I face in life is it to pray? Do I acknowledge Christ's supremacy over all things in my life? Are we like the writer in Psalm 121 where he says this? Psalm 121 verse 1 to 2. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He reigns supreme. He's above all things. My help comes from that person who is above all things. And so prayer is acknowledging Christ's supremacy over all things, over my life. Prayer is not only the vehicle that takes us to our source of help in this life. It is also a statement that we make saying, Christ reigns supreme in my life. That is why I pray. But some of us may ask, well, especially in our culture where independence, self-sustainability is praised and glorified, we may ask, why is it a good thing to depend so much on God? Why? Why, do we, why, why do we need to be so dependent on God? Doesn't God help those who help themselves? Why? A few years ago, uh, my parents uh, were looking into... Uh, getting into a new business venture. Uh, they're entrepreneurs. I'm Korean, if you, in case you haven't noticed. Uh, <clears throat> there is a stereotype. Koreans, a lot of Korean people own convenience stores. It is true, okay? It is true. Actually, there's a show that's airing, Kim's Convenience. Uh, I, I, I might check it out. But uh, it's true. But my parents, they were entrepreneurs. They had several businesses uh, over, you know, the last few decades, um, stores, different things. Um, and so a few years ago, this was just a few years ago, uh, they had the opportunity to get into kind of like a restaurant business, food business. And I thought, what? <laughs> That's crazy. How do you know how to run a food business? But no, they were determined. 
And uh, a great opportunity came up to buy this, uh, it's kind of like a sandwich shop, I guess, inside uh, like an office building in Toronto. And so there's companies that have their offices in this building. Um, it's, the, I think, the only sandwich shop that was in this building. So a lot of the employees would come and get their lunch there. So it was a very good uh, opportunity. The numbers were right. Um, the person who was selling them this business went to their church. So they knew that person very well. And so it just seemed like a right fit. And they told me about this. And I thought, wow, that is, man, my parents just... You do new things all the time. That's cool, but okay. And so they were about to sign on the dotted line, uh, put in an offer. Uh, but, but my parents, you know, they're people of prayer. Uh, they, they pray quite a lot. In fact, the Korean church is, is known for prayer. And I, I believe it's a grace that God has placed on the Korean church. Uh, they pray every morning. There's a morning prayer every morning. Uh, 6 a.m. every morning, uh, and people come, you know, quite a number of people from the church come out to this prayer meeting every day, and I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's a lot of praying. Uh, I believe it's a grace that God placed on the, the Korean church. I believe, this is, this is me personally, I'm just stepping aside here, but uh, I believe personally why God put that grace upon the Korean church is to pray for the unification of South and North Korea. I truly strongly believe that's why uh, the Korean church has this extra measure of grace because they pray unusually a lot. Um, Prayer is just in their DNA. I I believe it's because they are praying night and day for South and North Korea to be reunited. And and that's true. Um, I believe it's going to happen at some point and talk about continuing steadfastly in prayer. Uh, It's just what they do. And so uh, my parents uh, are... They go to a church that prays like that. And so they're people of prayer. And they prayed about this business deal. And all of a sudden, they were like, you know, I just, my mom just felt, no, I don't think it's right. I don't think it's a right thing to do. And so they backed out of the deal, which it terribly upset the sellers. And my parents aren't ones to do that kind of thing. They're they're all in. They get excited. They're like, let's do this. But for some reason, they took a step back. And uh, what had ha- ended up happening uh, a few months later, the businesses, a couple of the businesses that were in that uh, building vacated the building. And so a great number of the workforce was just gone. And that sandwich shop closed within months. That would have been devastating for my parents. And when that happened, I got a phone call from my mom. Guess what happened? God God saved us from making a terrible business decision. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I thought, wow. It is a good thing to depend on God in prayer because we cannot foresee what is ahead. We can't. We wish we can. We can do all the studying, all the number crunching, everything. We can't foresee the future. But who does? God does. Why? He's above it all. The supremacy of Christ. He's above all things. He sees it. And when we pray, we're acknowledging that. We need to depend on God. We must depend on God. Praying is turning to the one who knows all things, thereby recognizing his omniscience and his omnipresentness. 
We're recognizing the godness of God when we pray. That's what we're doing. Prayer declares God's supremacy. That's why we pray. Another thing to note from the story about my parents and this business uh, venture, they prayed, God answered in an amazing way, and they gave glory to God. They prayed, God answered, and out of that came praise, glory to God. That's what happens when we pray to God for things in our lives. When we pray for certain situations, when we ask him for wisdom, provision, and our needs, and when God answers those prayers, he confirms his supremacy. And out of that, our reaction to that is praise. Think about a time when you pray to God, an impossible situation. God, I need this. Eleventh hour, I need you. And bam, he answers that prayer. What happens? What happens inside you, in your spirit? You praise him. You give him praise. You declare who he is. You are awesome, God. You give God glory. That is what God is after. Glory, worship, praise. God wants that from us. Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and I love this part, and you shall glorify me. Isn't that so true? Call upon me. I'll deliver you. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to glorify me. You're going to worship me. God wants us to glorify him. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So the second reason why Paul encourages all believers to continue in prayer is because, number two, answered prayer gives God the glory. Prayer, once answered, brings an experience to the praying person, again, of the godness of God, an experience that says no one could have done that but God. And the outcome is praises welling up from within us, praising glory to the God of heaven and earth who knows my name, who listens to my prayer, who delivers me from my trials. Answered prayer produces praise. (coughs) Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. How great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. This hymn was sung for generations across many cultures from Swedish to German to Russian to English. How great is our God. He is great. 
answered prayer gives God glory, declares him great, great. He is great. And thirdly, the reason why Paul encourages all believers to continue steadfastly in prayer is because, number three, God is delighted. God is happy when we continually pray to him. Proverbs 15, verse 8. The prayer of the upright is his delight. Isn't that a neat picture? A great picture to have in our hearts and our minds when we pray? God smiles when we pray to him. When we continually come to him, recognizing his soul supremacy, recognizing that he is all we need when we pray to him, God smiles. He's delighted in our prayers. And the promise from scripture is this. God will answer. Keep Praying, keep asking, seeking, knocking, the door will be opened. God will answer. Jesus gave this parable to his disciples in Luke chapter 18 on the topic of persistent prayer. And he says this, Luke 18 verses 1 to 8 says this. Now he was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying, in a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while, he was unwilling, but afterward, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. What a funny guy. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect and who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. God is not like the unrighteous judge. God delights in our prayer. God delights in our persistence in prayer. He smiles, in fact. And the promises he will answer. Our continued efforts do not go unanswered. They are not ignored. God will hear. God does hear. And he will answer according to his will and his timing. And so we pray. We pray because prayer acknowledges God's supremacy. We pray because answered prayer produces praise. And we pray because God is happy when we pray to him. And Paul goes on to say this in verse 3 to 4. At the same time, with all that in mind, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul is asking the Colossian church to continue praying for him, for him to preach the gospel, for it to spread, for people to come to know Jesus, to understand the mystery of Christ, for, for their lives to be changed so that 
those who are dead in their trespasses would come and be made alive in God, in Christ Jesus. He's asking for the church to pray that this would happen. My request for us today is the same. Let us pray the same way that the early church prayed for Paul. Pray for Trinity. Pray for the body of Christ in this region. My request is that we would become more of a praying church. Yeah, we have meetings on Tuesday. Two prayer meetings on Tuesday. Intercessory prayer, missions prayer. We have a Wednesday night prayer. We have a monthly prayer summit. We have pre-service prayer. We, prayer on, we pray on Sundays in services. Yeah, we pray. There's the prayer chain. We pray. But my request is we pray more. We pray more so that we would be a church that sees the gospel of the kingdom preached and received in this region. My prayer request is that we continue to steadfastly pray for revival, that God would send revival in this region. We need it. We need revival. We need revival. The church needs revival. People need Jesus to be transformed by him, to give him praise, to experience his love. And so, would you join me in praying this prayer? Let's pray this together. I'll step down. God, we come before your throne of grace as one body to present to you these requests. We ask for an outpouring of your spirit upon us. We ask that revival would spread through our church, our region, and our nation. We boldly ask that you would open doors for us to preach the gospel, to declare the mystery of Christ to those in our spheres of influence. We ask for your favor to be our shield as we represent Jesus in this world. We call upon you to awaken in us a passion for the lost and empower us with your spirit to be your witnesses. We ask for an increase in the reach and effect of our Alpha Course. We ask for an increase in the reach and effect of our family ministries. We ask for an increase in the reach and effect of all that happens here. For the glory of your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Father, we ask that you would hear our prayers. God, You are delighted in our prayers as we constantly seek you for revival, as we constantly seek you for lives to be transformed in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, all around us. Father, we want to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that people would declare the excellencies of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that their lives would be made new, that they would come alive in Christ and see who you are, the value of, that you are our greatest treasure worth all that we could ever amass in this life. Father, we thank you that you call us to pray. We believe you're calling us to pray because you intend to answer. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of the long weekend.